Welcome to The Politocrat. It is Monday, April the 19th, 2021. On this edition of The Politocrat, the Super League and the closing arguments of the Derek Chauvin murder trial. Welcome back. So the weekend, sports-wise, seemed innocent enough. The Premier League was continuing somewhat curtailed because of the FA Cup semi-finals, and there were a number of teams who, because of their involvement in the FA Cup, weren't going to be playing in the Premier League. And the teams that they were going to play obviously could not play because they don't have an opponent because the opponent's playing in the FA Cup semi-final. So that affected fixtures. So there was a lot of teams that didn't play this weekend. There were a lot of teams that didn't play this weekend. Um, And a lot of them are playing during the next few days. But that's not why I talk about them. I talk about them. And I talk about the Premier League and I talk about sports on this episode, at least part of this episode to begin with, is because what you've seen here over the last 24 hours, if you are a fan of Premier League football or any other football in England, is a coup, a complete coup, a takeover of English football, a destruction of English football a destruction of the Premier League, a destruction of leagues in various other parts of Europe. La Liga, Serie A, all are essentially going to be extinct in the next couple of seasons. Because within the next couple of seasons... Beginning, I believe, in 2022-23, that particular season, which is really the season after next, there is something called the Super League. And the Super League, which was announced late last night, is a league of 12 clubs in football. Barcelona, Real Madrid, AC Milan... Inter Milan, Atletico Madrid, Tottenham Hotspur, Chelsea, Arsenal, Manchester City, Manchester United, Liverpool. And I may have named all 12 or I may have come up short somewhere on that list. But the bottom line is, is that these 12 clubs, or the clubs I've named, there are 12 of them in total, are forming a breakaway super league. And it is a midweek competition where these 12 teams compete against each other in any given fixture scheduling during the middle of every week or every other week. It's going to destroy 
the football leagues from whence these teams came. This Super League is a league that pays much more money to players. This Super League is a league that pays much more money to the billionaire owners that own these 12 clubs. This Super League is a league where nobody can get relegated. And this Super League is a league whereby which the creme de la creme are playing in a tournament every week or every other week. This absolutely destroys each of the respective leagues that these teams come from. And what has happened with this Super League is it is a body made up of four people, four billionaire owners. The billionaire president of Real Madrid, Florentine Perez. The billionaire American owner, Stan Kroenke, who owns Arsenal Football Club in North London. The billionaire American owner, John Henry, who owns Fenway Sports Group and owns Liverpool Football Club in Northwest England. He also owns the Boston Red Sox. And last but not least, the billionaire American owner, the Glazers, I forget what the first name of the person is. But the point of the matter is, is that the Glazers own Manchester United in northwest England, in Lancashire. Each of these four people I've just mentioned form the body of this new organization called the Super League. This is a fiefdom. And it is a disgusting fiefdom, as all fiefdoms are. It is cynical. It is disgusting. It is blatant. These billionaires are absolutely disregarding the fans. They don't care about the fans. They don't care about the supporters. All that they care about is money. And their greed exceeds any notion that they give a damn about you and about me. They don't care about the fact that we support the clubs we support, whether they be in the Premier League or La Liga or in Serie A or in the English Championship for that matter, the EFL Championship, the EFL League One. EFL League Two, these owners, these billionaire owners of clubs like Tottenham Hotspur, Chelsea, Manchester United, Manchester City, Liverpool, Arsenal, Real Madrid and Barcelona and AC Milan, Inter Milan, Atletico Madrid, these billionaire owners don't give a rat's ass about the way the fans feel. They don't care about the game of football. Florentine Perez, who is the president of Real Madrid, notoriously nuts, gets rid of managers who win Champions Leagues. He famously fired, or infamously fired, Carlo Ancelotti, one of the world's best managers, 
one of the world's best managers. He got rid of him a few years ago after he had won a Champions League for Real Madrid. Florentine Perez is crazy. And not only is he crazy, I think he's fascist. And that's the guy who's the president of this new Super League. And you know what's crazy about this? As someone who's a fan of English football, who has... Look, I've seen many an English football match. I'm from England. I grew up watching football from the terraces. I grew up watching football at home on television. I grew up watching that. I went to games all the time in England. And still go to games in England when I have the chance to. Obviously, the pandemic has not allowed that. But when this pandemic finally begins to die down, you can bet. I will be back at Vicarage Road for Watford Football Club, my beloved football club. But what has happened here over the last 24 hours or so is absolute heresy. And it is nothing more than greedy billionaires who are looking to sweeten the pot for themselves. And, oh, we can throw the players a few bones as well. Because we'll just pay them a few extra million a week. And the thing is about all of this, as aside from all the heinous disregard for fans, this is about capitalism. This is capitalism at work. And those people who complain about, oh my gosh, socialism so terrible, are absolutely silent right now when they realize that what the Premier League was for 20 clubs in that Premier League was socialism. Each of those clubs would get an apportioned share of money. And in the Premier League, wherever you finish in that league, you get one to two million dollars more than the club that is immediately below you in the finishing line in the table. So of the 20 clubs, if you finish 14th, you get one or two million pounds more than the team that finishes 15th. And the team that finishes 15th gets one or two million more pounds than the team that finishes 16th, and you get the idea. So if you go from one all the way down to 20, that's what's going on. And there is a equitable, well, as equitable as possible, but proportionate share of monies and revenue given to those clubs based upon their league table finish in the Premier League. All 20 clubs get to get part of that money. That's socialism. Hello? But no one's going to talk about socialism now, are they? It's interesting how people are so fixated upon that when it's a political discussion and people have the wherewithal to talk about that in relationship to politics, whether it's the Labour Party and Jeremy Corbyn, whether it is the Democratic Party or the Independents and Bernie Sanders, the Senator out of Vermont or whomever. And the Republicans throw that at you. Ooh, socialism, ooh, scary. And yet when the Premier League has 20 clubs, that all get a proportionate share of monies distributed to them at the end of every season based on their 
league table finish in the Premier League, no one says anything. No one says anything about socialism, but that's exactly what that is. And what you've got with this Super League is the opposite. What you have with this Super League is a breakaway group, the elites, right? Who are all going to share the money themselves, leaving out the remaining clubs in their respective countries. So that Atletico Madrid, Barcelona, and Real Madrid would break away from La Liga, which is the Spanish league, and join this Super League and would get paid all this money, their players would get paid all this extra money, and the owners would get extra, so on and so forth. And that money would be shared entirely between those three clubs and no other club in La Liga. Leaving the La Liga foundation and structure profoundly weakened. If you're in the United States listening to this, to give you perhaps a clearer idea of what it is I am saying, I want to go back to the the discussion I had a few days ago, the monologue I said a few days ago regarding the Negro Leagues. April 15th, which is four days ago now, was Jackie Robinson Day here in the United States. And as I had said, I believe, if not in the episode, then certainly on the audio extra for the newsletter that day, I had made very clear that the Negro Leagues from whence Jackie Robinson came started over time to become a much weaker league. Why? Because the major leagues of baseball were swooping in like vultures and taking or wooing or actively grabbing, basically, black talent from the Negro Leagues and bringing those black players into the major leagues of baseball. So as to weaken what would happen, the net effect would be to weaken the Negro Leagues. And then the major leagues of baseball would compete with the Negro Leagues with all kinds of advertising and incentives and this and that and the other. And before you know it, within a few years, the Negro Leagues had to disband. They were disbanded because they could not keep up with the economic strength of the Major Leagues of Baseball, which had poached a lot of Negro League players or a good many of them. Willie Mays was a Negro League player before he started out with the New York Giants. Jackie Robinson, I believe Larry Doby was as well, who ended up with Cleveland, the second black person to play for a major league baseball team. And as I say, the net operative effect is this taking of players out of their league and bringing them to the major leagues had a deleterious effect on the Negro Leagues because the talent pool began to shrink and all of the players ended up migrating over, not all of them, but a significant number, or a few certainly, migrated over to the major leagues of baseball. They were getting paid more. They were being marketed in ways that the Negro Leagues could not keep up with. 
And the Negro Leagues, within a few years, fell by the wayside. And I can hear you now, some of you, some of the people listening to me, I should say. I can hear you now. Well, that's the way it works. That's survival of the fittest. No, it's not about survival of the fittest or unfittest. It's about capitalism and how devastating it is and how blood-sucking it is. And this is an example of it. So a whole league with great talent and great people and stupendous ability and skill had to close down. George Rube Foster. Rube Foster, the owner of the Chicago American Giants, who ran the Negro Leagues or was one of the presidents of the Negro Leagues around that time and that era, basically threw his hands up, helpless, to stop the inevitable. And had to admit, you know what? Our league now is a quote-unquote, and I'm just quoting, I believe one of the words he used was inferior, which could, ironically, is ironically nothing further from the truth. He couldn't be more further from the truth. Josh Gibson hitting 90-odd home runs in one season, 85 to 90 home runs a season. But the reason why George Rube Foster the owner of the Chicago American Giants and Amer- and also the president of the League of Negro Leagues said this about the Negro Leagues because the talent pool began to shrink and you had these Negro League stars migrating over for bigger paydays and at the expense of a league that could not keep up. That is exactly what happened yesterday. And late last night, with this forming of this Super League, that is exactly what's happened. And all of these so-called big clubs, which have untold millions and billions of dollars worth of resources, will break away from their respective leagues and weaken them by leaving. And what you'll have in those leagues will be a bunch of also-rans, Now, I'm not arguing that there shouldn't be a league that has those kinds of teams in them. But what I am saying is is that the game itself will be completely dulled. It will be eviscerated because all of the creme de la creme talent is going to go to the Super League. And players who would ordinarily have gone to the Premier League to play in England, because the Premier League right now is the most watched league of football on the planet. It's not even close. And because this Super League has now been formed and all these clubs have made announcements, a lot of players, knowing that the players in the Super League get paid so much more money than the players in the Premier League, a lot of the players are going to want to migrate over to the Super Leagues for a bigger payday. That's what money does That's what the love of money is all about. And it's a real shame. But this is not exactly a surprise. And I will explain as briefly as I can why it is not a surprise. Right after this. 
Welcome back. A European Super League without Bayern Munich or Paris Saint-Germain? Shit. Say that again, Isaiah Whitlock Jr.? Shit. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, this is exactly how craven, disgusting, and cynical all of this is. This is all about the money. This is all about the money. And I'll tell you what, before I get to the point I want to make, the fact that you've got these clubs in there, in this Super League, will not and does not guarantee that that league is going to be that good or any good. Half of those teams right now, Arsenal, Tottenham, Barcelona, Atletico, AC Milan, I mean, half of those teams, of that 12 teams, and I named about six there, half of those those teams, those six I named, they aren't doing all that great in their leagues right now. They're not having outstanding seasons. I mean, Real Madrid's doing well, and Atletico is going to probably end up winning the La Liga in Spain. But I'm telling you, they've not had great seasons. Barcelona has had a very lukewarm season, and that's putting it nicely. Yes, they won the Copa del Rey on Saturday, which is the Spanish Cup. But they've not had a very good season. Tottenham Hotspur in England, in North London, has had a, they've had a miserable season. They got knocked out of the Champions League. They got knocked out of the Europa League. Sure, they're going to be in the League Cup final in England on Sunday, the 25th of April. But they have not had a good season. Arsenal? Horrible season. They're in ninth or 10th place in the Premier League at the moment. And Tottenham Hotspur are in 7th or 8th place presently in the Premier League in England. It's just absolute madness. And so with that said, there is no guarantee that this Super League, like anything in life, is going to be any good. And what you are getting now is, ooh, let's have glamour and spice. But we don't know if it's going to be very nice. And it's all about money. Ooh, Barcelona and this team and that team and the other team. But as Isaiah Whitlock Jr. reacted, how can you have a European Super League without Bayern Munich of Germany or Paris Saint-Germain in it of Paris, France. How could you not have those teams in that league? Two teams that one of whom won the Champions League last season, which also would be a competition that would be severely affected and essentially eviscerated by this stupid Super League. Last season, Bayern Munich defeated Paris Saint-Germain in the Champions League final in order to lift the trophy. 
this season, just last week, Paris Saint-Germain knocked Bayern Munich out of the Champions League in order to reach the semi-final of that competition. So why a Super League again? The answer is money. And that is exactly what is destroying all manner of things, whether it is football, whether it is sponsoring all kinds of things in sports, every every moment you turn around. Oh, this time out is brought to you by... It's just crazy. Nothing in the sports game or anything else goes along without being sponsored now. This three throw, I mean, the next thing they're going to do is sponsor the blooming three throws. This three throw is brought to you by AT&T. Then the next three throw, the second of these two three throws is brought to you by Wendy's. Go to Wendy's now. Then they'll be sponsoring the jump ball in the NBA. This jump ball is brought to you by the brand new Chevy Tahoe. Every single aspect of sport is going to end up being sponsored. The referee's halftime whistle is brought to you by... That's where we are, dear listener. We are in a place in the sports world where no one, but no one, will be able to or is presently able to watch any kind of sporting event on television at least or on other TVs that you may have in your arsenal without seeing something being sponsored. Every single thing, you go on the internet, you can't even get through a YouTube video without an ad coming at you before you even start to watch. And it's all about these billionaires and these billionaire companies. And the revenue that YouTube makes on this or that. They take money. When you're donating on YouTube to your favorite personality, YouTube gets half that money. They get 50% of the money you donate. So let's say you're donating to... Well, I haven't set up anything like this, but let's say you are donating to me. And you make a donation to me for the Politocrat Daily Podcast YouTube channel, which I, in fact, do have. Right? Just search the Politocrat. The logo or the photograph for the YouTube page I have will be of a red and gold building at nighttime. That's how you'll tell because there's another politocrat as well, but it's different and I don't want you to get mixed up, but I doubt that you will once you click on that red and gold building that's all lit up in red and gold at night. And let's say you're donating to me on YouTube at my YouTube channel. And let's say I set something up like that. Half that money goes to YouTube. 
This is all about greed. And the same thing with the Super League. Everything is sponsored. This player's tattoo is sponsored by Lockheed Martin. We make weaponry. And we can make weaponry for your tattoos. I mean, that's where we are, folks. You can't watch a sporting event on television now, whether it be the NBA or the Premier League or pretty much anything, without an in-game advertisement. For the last year or two now, in a lot of these leagues, there is a huddle or a pre-game huddle or there's some kind of pre-game match introductions. And they do a split screen. So that you've got on the left-hand side the players huddling or talking or being introduced on the pitch or wherever the sporting event is on. And on the right side of the screen, you've got some ad playing. And then they keep the split screen up until the ad is gone and then they zoom out to the main screen of the football match or the NBA game. It's really annoying. And it's not that I'm older and I notice this. It's just annoying to be watching a sporting event. Those of you listening who do watch sporting events, whether live, but particularly on TV at home, especially during this pandemic. And you watch a game and you're watching it and all of a sudden there's some in-game ad, literally. What happened to the day? where there just were ads when there were timeouts, that you didn't have to have the game on. And during the game, with a break in the action, you've got to stick an ad in somewhere just for some more money to be made. And so what you're really doing when you're watching a sporting event is watching the advertising and the actual breaks are the actual gameplay. So the actual commercial breaks it are the game, is the game itself. It's so maddening. And this is the way of the world, says Earth, Wind and Fire. And this has been the way of these leagues. And I want to just get to the point here. This is what I want to get to. Is that when the Premier League was formed in 1992 for the season, 1992-93 season, there were people who were grouching. There were some people who didn't like that. Oh, you're changing it from the first division, English first division, to the Premier League. What are you trying to do? And it was a group of 20 teams. And I think there used to be something like 24 teams, 2-4, two, 24 teams in the English first division, division one. I think it was a total of 24 teams originally. And then in 1992-93, they cut down the number of teams redistributed the other teams across the leagues and made those other, especially the championship, the team, the tier immediately below the Premier League. And they made that a group of 24 teams, 2-4, two, 24 teams, while the Premier League was stripped down to 20. So it created this feeling of, whoa, these are the chosen few and the Premier League over those years became a very top-heavy league. Top in the sense that there were, uh, and ironically, probably not the right language, but 
it became a league where six or seven clubs named the Big Six, not seven, the, the Big Six, because it was really six clubs, Manchester United, Manchester City, Arsenal, Tottenham, Liverpool and Chelsea, were the teams that were viewed as the big money makers. And they had all these, eventually over time, had these billionaire owners, a lot of them overseas owners. And yes, they put billions of dollars into spending to make the stadia that the teams played in look a whole lot better, a whole lot more plush, a lot more respectable. They threw all their money at it. They spent money on players like Manchester City has done. And their payroll is enormous. But when you've got billionaire owners doing that for you, you're living living a dream. Not running it down, like Tom Petty would say. But the point I'm making is that this has really been in the works for a long time. And this is what capitalism is. It won't sustain itself unless it screws you. And in this case, the screwy is the fan, is you if you watch the Premier League, is you if you watch La Liga, is you if you watch Serie A, is you if you watch the Champions League, the semifinals of which start next week. They are next week. So the semifinals start next week and you are the screwee, the screwer, are these Billionaire owners from these 12 clubs who are saying, hey, you Premier League player, come over on, come on over here. Be a part of our Super League. We're going to pay you two, three, five million more dollars than these guys do over here. or Three, four, five million pounds more. You're going to get a good paycheck here. You can retire after one season based on the kind of money we're going to be paying you. And us multi-billionaire owners, huh? Well, come on. You're subject to our rules. You're subject to what we say. We make the rules up here. And we've got the money to do that with. So we don't want your conflicted self going back to the Premier League. We have your ass. And we're going to be paying you. And we're going to be owning you. And that's essentially what capitalism is, right? It, It sucks the blood And the lifeblood out of something that benefits a lot of different people. So that it can then instead only enrich the very few. And as I've said, this moment has been in the offing for a long time. Because when you globalize leagues like the Premier League. And the Premier League is a global brand. And it has been over the course of these 22 years. Remember, I don't know if people remember this. Those of you who are listening who do follow the Premier League avidly may remember that it used to be sponsored by the Barclays League. Barclays card. It used to be called the Barclays League Premier League or the Barclays Premier League, which is really what it used to be called. And they stopped that about five years ago when they stopped sponsoring the Premier League. So these billion dollar companies, billion pound companies, Barclay Card and Barclays Bank, they stopped. And the Premier League said, literally about five years ago, said we will no longer be sponsored. It would just be called Premier League. And that to me was the alarm bell. 
which said that the, the, the whole brand was up for sale. And again, when the Premier League started in 1992, for the season 1992-93, it was not yet a global brand. It took time. And it took time through monies and revenues and billionaire owners. But this has been coming for a long time because a lot of these clubs now in the Premier League, who aren't even a part of the top six, the big six clubs, they also have billionaire owners who dictate what happens. Burnley, in the last few months, the Burnley Football Club, Burnley Football Club in northwest England, up in Lancashire, not far from Liverpool or Manchester, all of them are in Lancashire, in northwest England. They recently have had an American owner. And at first, you know, people are kind of being skeptical up in Burnley about this, an American owner. And... On the one hand, people view it in a positive way because he can put billions of dollars into Burnley's product on the field, the players, and give them salaries or go and get players who can enrich that team. But the downside to all that is he can destroy Burnley Football Club with his money because if he doesn't know anything about football, and clearly this owner does not, and most of these owners do not, then it's over for the team that that owner professes to own or wants to own. This kind of thing is a destruction. And what happens now is that you're going to have a weakened league. You're going to have a weakened Premier League, a weakened Serie A, a weakened La Liga. All because of 12 clubs and their greedy owners, their billionaire greedy owners, who do not care about the fan. They only care about their safety and their profits, as James Baldwin once said. This is going to destroy the game as we know it. The Premier League's importance, not just in the world, but also in England principally, is going to be shattered by this Super League. And what they're going to do is end up lobbying these cable networks to show or satellite networks to show these Super League games. And Sky News, Sky Sports and all these other companies, ESPN, they have contracts with the Premier League or they have contracts with the Football Association Cup or they have contracts with the EFL Cup. And so the EFL may have a contract with these folks. And then that all gets decimated because of what happened last night with the announcement of this Super League. It is a betrayal of the fans. And as I said, there's a good three or four of those clubs, if not more, at least six of those clubs in that Super League are not any good. They're having poor seasons. I am really disappointed and very upset, quite frankly. I was absolutely livid yesterday about this. I, I, I really was. And I know what this means. This means that you're going to have more owners wanting to do this. I'm telling you, it's not going to stop just at these 12 clubs. What's to stop a Leicester City? Even though Leicester City would not be compared 
with the likes of Manchester City. But Leicester City, which is a club, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, in the East Midlands of England, is a club that has won the Premier League title. And wants to say that Leicester don't join this Super League at some point. Wants to say that. Wants to say that the teams who are left in the Premier League, that what would it be in, you know, 14 of them? What, or whatever. Who, or 16? Who's to say that that's going to be a positive? I, I really don't like what's going on here. And millions of people around the world hate what's going on here. It is not a good idea. And the governments around the world who are connected to these particular leagues are stepping in and saying, hey, look, you know, you can't do this. And these other governing bodies, specifically, I should say, UEFA, the Premier League, the EFL, English Football League, and La Liga and Serie A, have all joined together in solidarity about this and said, we condemn this and we are going to institute penalties for players and to um, the owners of these clubs for doing this. It completely puts a monkey wrench in everything. So this is a real problem. This Super League will end up destroying football and all at the service and the hands of a few Greedy, greedy billionaires. Welcome back. When you let these billionaire owners into your club and you globalize a brand like the Premier League, it's only a matter of time before these billionaire owners turn around and say, you know, to hell with the Premier League, we're moving on. We've devoured it for 20 years. That's long enough. Time for us to make some money elsewhere. And that's the prevailing notion of all of these billionaire owners. They're not in touch with the clubs. They're not in touch with the fans. They barely communicate with the fans, a lot of them. They are ancient relics, some of them, sitting there watching. And they just aren't even moving. They're like stone-cold dinosaurs. Fossilized or whatever you want to say. Museum exhibits just sitting there, prostrate in the director's box. And there's just nothing coming from them. It's a soulless, robotic presence that they exhibit. And that is really what we're looking at. The soul has been crushed out of the game of football. In England, in Spain, in Italy. It's really despicable. And there's no need for it. Screw your damn money. These players are getting... I mean, these players are getting nearly a million, if not more, a week anyway in the Premier League. Again, it's... Not that money is the root of all evil. It's that the love of money is the root of all evil. The love of money. And that's exactly what happened. And that has happened. People are so greedy and selfish and all they care about is a bigger payday. They're not content with the money they've got. They want more. More, more, more. 
I mean, they want more. They do. They want more. Andrea True is correct. I just, it's just absolutely crazy. And this is what the capitalist system does. And all these owners, the Mike Ashleys of Newcastle, who didn't give a rat's ass about Newcastle United in the Premier League, did not support that club strongly enough. Really didn't. And only maybe once in his tenure has he, and that was literally last year or the year before, where he actually started to throw money at them. But other than that, He doesn't care about Newcastle, despite what he says. It's really annoying to be that stupid and that hated and claiming that you're doing everything in the best interest of Newcastle. No, you're not. You're doing everything in the best interest of you. You and your money. That's what the interest is. I just don't understand this. It is a really bad thing that has happened here. And I wish, by the way, that UEFA, 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 would, in addition to putting out their strong statement, also put out a statement about how you condemn racism. I really do think you need to do that too. It's just despicable, this whole thing. And... I just don't ever want this to succeed. I really don't want this Super League to succeed. I'll just tell you straight up. It's so evil. It's a money grab. It's a power grab. And they're using a pandemic to do it. It's just distasteful. And it's despicable. Oh my goodness me. Welcome back. So that's really the thing, you know. The Super League is going to decimate the sport of football as we know it. The Premier League, La Liga, Serie A are all going to be massively affected for the worse because of this Super League. And also the Champions League is going to be decimated by this as well. The Champions League is a really good competition. We do not need a Super League. And the only reason a Super League is being formed is for the purposes of billionaire fat cat owners, capitalist vultures, can make more money. For the purpose of them making more money that they don't need. You can feed countries with the money that they've got. You can feed countries the world over with the kinds of money that these billionaire owners are making and investing. It's disgusting. In this day and age, in a pandemic, on top of everything, that these vultures have taken this time and this moment and seized upon it to go for the jugular and destroy these leagues for their extra paydays. It's really disgusting. And this is what capitalism is. And it's so interesting that I don't hear any conversation about that. And I don't hear anyone talking about 
we need socialism again. And no one said anything about the word socialism when the Premier League, well, it still exists for now, when the Premier League is going on. No one says that. 20 clubs getting apportioned money proportionate to where they finish in the table at the end of every Premier League season. This season's Premier League ends, I believe, May the 22nd, somewhere around there. Or May the 23rd, whatever. It's the last date on the calendar um, for this season, the Premier League. That's only in another month or so. And at the end of the season, as I said earlier, every club gets a bonus payout of an uh, extra million or two million pounds. And that's two million or so pounds more than the team in immediately below them in the table. There's a proportionate share relative to where those teams finish. That's a form of socialism. Each of those 20 clubs are getting apportioned monies. In the Super League scenario, I just want to remind people, in the Super League scenario, and this is a done deal now. You've had these clubs all over Twitter last night announcing this in on their tweets. Oh, we are part of a new league. You know, and what's going to happen is only those 12 clubs get that money. It's a billionaire's lottery. It's a billionaire's paradise. And, you know, people complained about Mike Ashley at Newcastle. As I said, the billionaire owner there, he doesn't know what he's doing. People complained about this owner and that owner and these Americans are taking over the Premier League. They're owning this, they're owning that. And that's what globalization does. That is what globalization does. I'm sorry, people need to be talking about this in those terms. When you globalize a sport, now look, football is a global sport to begin with. But when I'm talking about globalization, I'm not talking about the fact that the World Cup, which comes around every year, is a globalized thing. And that football is a globalized thing. And that is football, not the NFL. You know what football I'm talking about because I'm not going to use the S word because that's for Americans. That's what Americans say. It's not that. It's football. Real football because the NFL is played with mostly with its hands, which means it's actually handball. But don't tell some Americans that because then they'll get upset at you if you tell them that the NFL is really the NHL, the National Handball League, which means that the actual NHL, the National Hockey League, maybe needs to find a new acronym? <laughs> or is it the NHBL for the present NFL, the National Handball League, N? H B L sounds about right, doesn't that? I mean, or is it the National Handball League, the N H B L? Sounds about right, doesn't it? Or is it the N H B L, the National Handball? League. Sounds about right, doesn't it? Yeah, I think so. But this is what happens, you know, when you've got all of this globalization in the sense of allowing these billionaires from all over the world to come in and, yes, in, in a lot of cases, rescue clubs. 
right? Because the revenue money generated by British owners just isn't as high. They don't have the same kind of billionaire power like they are, as do other billionaires in other countries, whether it's from the United Arab Emirates or from Dubai or from the United States or from Russia, who can pour in billions of dollars because they have the assets, they have the capital, and they can do that. And in many cases, they actually do rescue these clubs in England who are struggling or who don't have the talent. But this is not about rescuing those clubs. It's about fattening up those clubs so that they can plunder those clubs and make billions upon billions of dollars from those clubs. And they see all of this as a business investment, a business investment, which is what it is to these billionaires. These people don't know what football is. They wouldn't know football if it hit them in the face. They don't care about football. People for years at Arsenal, the Arsenal fans, for years have complained about Stan Kroenke and the Kroenke family and the fact that they don't know what the hell they're doing and that when Arsene Wenger was the manager at Arsenal Football Club in North London, Arsene Wenger wouldn't get these guys anywhere near a trophy. Barely. Granted, he had some good seasons. The 2004 season was an, an exceptional one. An exceptional one for Arsenal. They went the entire season undefeated. The 2003-2004 season. I believe that was this season. Not one loss in the Premier League. They won the title. They had an outstanding season. Plus, and that stretched into the next season where for a number of games, they did not lose at all. And Arsene Wenger after that would have some mediocre seasons, but he was kept on and kept on and kept on. And Stan Kroenke, when he became the owner a few years ago of Arsenal, didn't fire Arsene Wenger, even though many Arsenal fans wanted Arsene Wenger to go. There'd be protests. People complained all the time about the Premier League and Arsenal fans complained about Kroenke and complained about Arsene Wenger. And they said, why don't you get rid of him? And they didn't want to because that wasn't the objective for Stan Kroenke. The objective for Stan Kroenke was to make money off of Arsenal. And as long as they finished in the top four or five, or maybe six, did reasonably well in a cup competition and the money was coming in, merchandising, advertising opportunities, this, that, the other, Stan Kroenke, Stan Kroenke was perfectly happy. He didn't, give a, he didn't care about whether Arsene Wenger was winning games or not for Arsenal. As the manager, he didn't care so much about that. He cared about the bottom line. And that's why Arsenal fans were so furious with the Kroenkes. And Stan Kroenke, who barely attended a match, you didn't see him anywhere. Where is he? He was like, where's Waldo? Where in the world is Carmen Santiago? You didn't, you didn't know where the hell Carmen Sa you know, you didn't know where Stan Kroenke was. Where in the world is Carmen Santiago? That was Stan Kroenke. Fans had had it in, at Arsenal. They'd had it up to here with Stan Kroenke. Didn't care about the club. And then the same rumblings were going on at other clubs with other billionaire owners. Where are these people? They don't care about the club. 
And now they've really stuck the knife in the backs of these fans. All of us fans. In England, in, in Italy, in Spain. We've had the knife stuck in our backs last night and today. By a bunch of greedy billionaires. And their vulture capitalism. They've sunk their teeth in. They've stabbed us in the back. And they've gone and effed off to a Super League. Taking all the best players. Taking all of those talented people with them. And I don't think the quality of the football is going to be as good as people might think. And what happens is it leaves the rest of the Premier League weakened. Because the marquee teams have all gone. And then the Premier League becomes a watered-down, flat-lined league. Granted, it'll be more competitive because you'll have a lot more so-called mediocre clubs competing every week. And maybe there'll be some short-term fun about that. In fact, it might be downright exciting. It would be another version of the championship in English football. The EFL championship. But the Premier League's guts got ripped out of it last night. And this was a coup, folks. Make no mistake, this was a coup. This was a gutting and a takeover of La Liga, of Serie A, and of the Premier League. Make no mistake about it. We grumble about these owners who come in, don't know what they're doing, many of them. Don't care about the game. They care about the bottom line. Their dollars. Their money. Their pounds. Their euros. And now. On this Monday. We are really looking at. The end. Of the beautiful game. As we know it. Welcome back. So it is Monday indeed, and I hope you're well. And I want to switch gears now on this episode to talk just briefly about what we're seeing, the closing arguments in the trial, the murder trial of Derek Chauvin. And you're going to be seeing that. You are seeing that right now. The closing arguments are critically important, and the prosecution and defense will be giving those. If I remember correctly, there is the prosecution, I think. Oh, God, did they go first? I don't remember in a closing argument. See, it's been so long since I interned in the... Um, it's been such a long time. I don't remember when I actually was sitting in on a trial, I didn't actually practice anything in the criminal trial, but there was a criminal trial I sat in on, I think it was the, um, I don't know if it was in the number two chair or whatever, I don't even remember, it's been such a long time, and I don't remember what we did, if the prosecution went first or if we went first, and I've interned in both the prosecution and defense um, as an intern, but I, I've never practiced in criminal Law. That's just not my discipline. Um, but I've interned in it, and I don't even remember now because it's been such a long time whether or not 
prosecution goes first or not in closing arguments. And I also am not sure whether or not there are rebuttal closings. I, you know, again, this is so bad that I don't know this. I really should, but I don't. So I'm sorry. But the bottom line is, is that the arguments are ongoing right now. The arguments should not take more than this full day. I would be shocked if they did. Um, you can be rest assured that I think Judge Cahill may decide to start the jury charge immediately or depending on the length of the argument, decide, okay, well, you've heard the arguments today. Go home now, digest that or get sequestered and digest that and um, then come back tomorrow for the jury charge. And I don't think, by the way, this jury gets sequestered until the jury charge has been finished and read to the jurors in full by Judge Cahill. So Judge Cahill has to read out the jury charge, which really, for those of you who aren't aware, are the list of instructions for jurors as to how to proceed during the... the, the, I can't even talk. Let me start again. And I apologize to you, dear listener. What Judge Cahill will be doing is reading the jury charge. The charge to the jury is a list, a set of instructions for the jury on how to proceed with their deliberations. And sometimes that jury charge, how to proceed on this count, how to proceed on that count, how to proceed on the other count. It can take literally hours to read out all of the instructions for each charge. Seriously, it can. In some trials that I've watched on television and in the trial that I participated in as a juror, it took, at least in the best of my memory when I was Again, it's been a long time even in participating as a juror. Well, it wasn't, yeah, it's been a long time. And I remember vaguely, oh my goodness, it took the judge a good 45 minutes to almost an hour to read out all of the charges to us as jurors. Derek Chauvin has three counts um, that he's facing and the the judge literally has to read out the instructions to the jury on each count. Seriously. And you will know if you've listened to him today, you will know, you know, provided that you listen to this at the time he reads out the charge, he will say to you that you may regard or disregard any or all of the evidence presented. And it's true. A juror can choose to completely disregard the videotapes. They can choose to disregard them. I kid you not. But the bottom line is, is Judge Cahill today will be reading out the jury charge. And if he isn't going to read them out, then he may do it on Tuesday. He may do it tomorrow. And I think that... um, It all depends on how long these closing arguments go. I do not think 
that these closing arguments are going to be very long. I have a feeling that by the time you listen to this, these closing arguments combined will be less than an hour. I think that the prosecution's closing argument, I'm going to predict this because um, I, I, know, I don't know. I, if I had to guess, I think the prosecution's argument for closing is going to be about half an hour. If that. Half an hour or so. I'll say half an hour. And I think that the defense closing is going to be about 15 or 20 minutes. That's my calculation and prediction for both of those. Half an hour for the prosecution and about 15 to 20 minutes for the defense. And there may be a rebuttal closing. I I don't even know, but we'll see. Um, You are getting a sense of these closing arguments now as they are unfolding or if you're seeing listening to this after that you've you've had a sense of them provided you listened or watched them um how they unfolded you i would like to know how you think they are unfolding how you think they unfolded were they arguments that you if you were sitting on that jury would find persuasive or compelling Now, the goal of the closing statement is really to amplify and put a stamp on the evidence presented at trial. You cannot introduce new evidence during your closing. You can't do that. The closing is a summation of the presentation of your case. That's what the closing argument is. It is meant to reiterate and amplify your case that you presented. And that articulation must be clear to the jurors. This is about beyond a reasonable doubt. This isn't a preponderance of the evidence standard because that is found in civil cases in the United States. And that's essentially referred to as the 50 plus 1% standard. So if it's more than 50%, 50.5, that's a preponderance of evidence a preponderance of the evidence versus a standard in criminal trials in the U.S. of beyond a reasonable doubt requires a whole lot more than just 50 plus 1 percent. It's got to be way beyond that threshold. It's got to be 85, 90, 95 percent beyond a reasonable doubt. So you see, or at least you hear, that those two standards are drastically different. So that's really how this all works out. And we'll see, you know. I don't know. I I have no idea where this jury is going. And it's going to be a suspenseful next couple of days. And I really don't know what this jury is going to do. Do you? By the way, once they are charged, as I said, once that charging goes, I would bet you that the jury's Uh, the judge's charge to the jury on these counts will last longer and and you'll find out will have lasted longer than these closing arguments have. I, I mean, I'm almost certain of it. And after you've looked at that, you can come back to me and let me know at politocratpod at gmail. That's the email address for this podcast. Let me know if I was right. <laughs> But only on the point of 
the judge's charge to the jury being longer in time than it took for the prosecution and the defense to complete their arguments combined. I'm predicting that the judge will take longer. And then the 12 jurors will be sequestered and then they'll really be allowed for the first time to talk about the case, to discuss it in their deliberations in the jury room. And of course, the thing to look out for, of course, after that will be the kinds of questions that they are sending out to the judge for answers for and for the answers for. And that's what really interests and freaking well makes me very nervous. Because depending on the questions sometimes, you may be able to read the tea leaves. It's not very easy, of course, in most of these cases to do that. But sometimes you get an inkling, but you still do not know. My goodness me, this is going to be a very interesting week. If you thought that last week was a horrific week in terms of some of the news items that you have heard and seen, This week is shaping up to be one hell of a nail biter and then some. Don't forget to patronize the online store at the-politocrat.myshopify.com Subscribe to the newsletter for free at politocrat.substack.com Thank you very much for listening to this edition of The Politocrat. Please get vaccinated. Please get vaccinated. I'm Omar Moore.